0: We're continuing our kind of journey through the whole subject of how we, in the midst of failure, can find a deeper, more glorious revelation of the nature and the character of God. And um, if you have your Bible with you this afternoon, please, perhaps you could turn with me to 1 Corinthians. We're going to read from chapter 1, verses 26 to 31. This is the good news of the Bible for anyone who has failed. Has anybody failed? Well, you're not very wholehearted in your failure, I must confess, the Bible says that we have all failed and fallen short of the glory of God. Now let me ask the question again, has anybody failed here this afternoon? Yeah, okay, so we're in good company, and uh, as we read this together, we can have some reassurances. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 to 31, "'For you see your calling, brethren, that not many were wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called.' But God has chosen the foolish things. Let's just pause at that for a moment. I mean, that could keep us here for a week. Couldn't it? Just that whole statement. Have a little look around you and see if you can see anyone else who perhaps reflects that or resembles that. God has chosen the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen and the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ, who became for us wisdom from God, and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. And I'm sure the Lord will bless the reading of his word to us this afternoon. So my premise for all that I think of in the subject matter of Falling forward, in other words, how do I make the best of some of the failures and the the moments in my life where things haven't quite gone according to my plan, is, is simply rooted in this truth that everything I do and everything I have must be connected to the nature and the character of God. Because what I think about God is simply the most important thing I could ever discover this side of heaven. Now, I want to help us a little bit this afternoon to understand that when we read the Bible, we're not reading the Bible just to get information. The Bible is an invitation to look into the nature and the character of God. And we discover more and more and more as we seek to read the scriptures with that kind of lens and that kind of orientation that he's far more wonderful than we first imagined far more gracious, far more loving, far more caring, far more interested in our lives than we ever could ever have grasped or understood prior to coming to know him. In fact, everything about your life, the good, the bad, and even the ugly, that's all about you coming to a deeper revelation of the nature and the character of God. And what we think about him is the most important thing in our world. In fact, if you don't know him, you won't know you. The reality is as you discover who he is, you start to really discover and come to terms with who you are. And I'm not talking about your negative traits. When you know him as father, you recognize that you are adopted into the family of God. And you start to think and live and dream and speak like someone who belongs to someone so incredible, so powerful that actually the whole of your life begins to transform and you start to view God, yourself and the world from a very different perspective. If you recognize that God is a sticker, in other words, he's faithful, he never leave or forsake you, then some of these moments when we start to crash and burn, because the world around us will reject us when we have problems or we don't measure up or we're not necessarily all they want us to be, we actually start to have an invitation from God to think a little bit differently. Imagine this truth, you could never get it wrong even if you tried. But if you look into the heart and the nature of God, there's a truth there because God uses all things for our benefit in the course of our lives. All things work together for the good of those who love the Lord. So even on your worst day, you can somehow access the goodness of God and work out the plan and the purpose of God and have a deeper revelation of the nature and character of God even in the worst season of your life. Everything that we believe about him shapes the way we live, it shapes our conversation, it shapes the way we interact with other people, and it shapes the way we live our lives. And what I've discovered has really helped me because I'm a little bit prone to getting things wrong. I think if there was anyone in the scriptures that I could possibly relate to the most, it would be Peter. I would call it Big Feet Ministries. Every time he opens his mouth, everybody in the room is praying that he puts his own foot in it. And there are many accounts and occasions where he's done just exactly that. But he also has glorious moments. Aren't you grateful for glorious moments? When Jesus asked the question of the disciples, who do the people say I am? And they come up with some really interesting answers to that. He then asked the question of the disciples, who do you say I am? And Peter puts his hand in the air and he says, choose me, choose me, I've got the answer. And if you know anything of the character and nature of Peter, you realize that everybody in the room is thinking, this will be good. Get your phone out. This is a Facebook moment. It might even go viral. But Peter has this epiphany, has this revelation that comes directly from God himself. And Jesus says words to him whenever he shares his revelation. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. He said, Pete, you didn't get this from a Bethel podcast. You didn't read this in Artie's latest book. This has come directly from God. So Peter, who was in many, many ways, so like many of us, prone to getting things wrong, actually some days got things absolutely right. Aren't you grateful that the whole of your life is not just shaped by your failure, but it's also shaped by your findings? When you discover who God is, it starts to shape the way you think. It starts to shape the way you live. And why do we need to have this kind of mindset? Because we're living in a world that's highly driven by success. In fact, sometimes it doesn't really matter what your character's like. (laughs) People aren't that interested in, in, you know, the the sensitivity of your heart or your compassion or your sense of, of integrity. People are very, very impressed by your success. And, you know, when I first came to the church, I was a reasonably successful singer. And I could have gone anywhere in the church and done anything. And those people had no idea how bad I was. They still don't. Sometimes talent and charisma and a visibility of of some form of success actually permissions people to engage with some things that we would keep others out of. But God is not just interested in that kind of orientation. God looks at the heart He knows the way of a person and he sees that heart and he works within the context of their relationship with him. So we live in a success-driven world and seeing God when we find ourselves in moments of failure where things have gone wrong is really important to see God in the right way and in the right manner and to come to him in relationship. He is not a hard taskmaster. He is not angry with us, amen? Do you know why? He's not disappointed with you. He never had any great expectations in the first place. He knew exactly who you were. I remember when I first became a Christian, I would go to God and I'd say, oh God, I've done this again. And he'd say again, because when he had forgiven me, he had removed my transgressions from me. But I was so accustomed to feeling like I was consistently getting wrong, God had to work in my mind and work in my heart to understand that in relationship with him, even the worst failure in my life can be a place where I can find something wonderful about the nature of God or discover something really beneficial to the person that I am to bring me into the fullness that God has promised me. And yet the world around us seems quite harsh to people who get things wrong. I remember once many, many years ago, some of you remember this. I can tell by the wrinkles on your face <laughs> and your clothes. Some of us will remember the great days of Daley Thompson. Do you remember Daley Thompson? I mean, he was the biggest hero that we ever had in, in athletics. And then one day he didn't quite win and that was the end of his life. Aren't you grateful that when we get things wrong or we don't measure up or we haven't quite you know, reached our mark or worked in our strength, That that isn't how God sees us. God is committed to, out of his nature and his character, in relationship with you, to help you discover the truth of who he is and the truth of who you are. He didn't have any expectations that you would be a winner first time round. In fact, it's quite often a significant part of our learning process where we attempt to live for God in particular ways and we find ourselves lacking and needing. And it's those lacks and those needs that should not drive us from God, but should lead us to God because he is the all-sufficient one. When I get something wrong, my tendency is to hide away. And actually what I need to do is steal my heart away and realign my life with the nature and the character and the truth of who God is in my life. And here's why that's important, because he who began a good work in me has left me with this abiding promise that he will carry on working in me through till its completion. His word will not return to him void, but will accomplish what he has set it out to do. But if I disappear... In my relationship with God, in the midst of my failure, I don't access his nature, I don't access his presence, I don't, I don't abide in his love, and I'm left isolated with my own thoughts and my own feelings around how difficult it is to be who I think I should be. Guilt and fear and shame and all of those best friends come and they turn up for that kind of pity party And my connection with God is the one thing that will restore joy in my soul. It's the one thing that will bring clarity, the sense of my journey and my purpose. And it's the one thing that will cause my heart to open up in hope again. Because God is with me. He's for me. He has prepared things, even in spite of my weakness, that I can actually taste and see that the Lord is good. In Romans 8, verse 35 to 37, it says this, And can anything separate us from Christ's love? Can anything, church, can I just ask us to be slightly real here this afternoon? Don't you find that failure makes a huge attempt at keeping you from connecting with the love of God? Don't you find that whenever you get it wrong or you blow it or you you completely go your own way and do your own thing and you're left with not just egg on your face, but a mess in your life? Don't you find that the first thing that you seem to think is I need to do something to win the heart of God again? I need to respond in some way to gain his favor and and to come back into fellowship. Listen to these words again. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Does that mean that we no longer have trouble or calamity, even if we're persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake, we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loves us. I'm so grateful to God that my relationship with him is not based on my performance. That right up front, at the beginning of our journey together, he knew who I was. And he still said, let me come and live in your heart. Let me abide in your life. His plans were not based on my performance. The plans he has to prosper and to bless Me to give me a future and a hope are based on my agreement. And that agreement starts here before it starts to demonstrate there. And as I understand who he is and I understand who I am in relationship with him, I start to come into a greater place of availability and an increased understanding of how I am to live on a daily basis with God. So in moments of failure, we really need to abide in the nature, the character, and the person of God the God who chose us from the foundations of the earth, the God who knitted us together in our mother's womb, the God who knows everything about us, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and the God who has a plan to prosper you in spite of your inadequacy to understand and to trust and to abide in his love and his faithfulness towards you. And failure for us to cause it to be something that flourishes in our life has to come right back to the root issue in our lives. If I fail, I usually find I don't understand who God is and I've tried to do something in my own power, in my own way to try and make my way in this world. But God is with me and he's for me and he's available to me and I don't need to hide from him, I need to abide in him. And if I really want to work the best work I can work through the difficulties and the, and the problems of my life, I need to know what it is to come to God with who I am in a very honest way and connect with him in a very real way. And so negative thoughts have no part in that. I want to suggest to you that all of your negative thinking does not cause that kind of reality to happen. We need to disempower our negativity so that we can empower our reality. Our reality is that we are children of the living God, chosen, handpicked by God from the foundations of the earth. And if I allow my failure to create a negative mindset, I will distance myself from that truth. So I need to, to disempower my negativity and I need to empower my reality. I am born again by the power of the Holy Spirit. I am grafted into the vine. I am chosen. I'm held in the hand of God. Now, I know for some of us this sounds like a little bit sweet or a little bit kind of nice, but actually God is kinder than you think he is. He might even be nicer than some of you believe him to be. In fact, I believe that God is the kindest person that I've ever met. He's generous and good. He's loving and caring And his greatest passion is that I grow in relationship with him. And even my failure can work to my advantage. If I bring it into relationship with God, I don't hide from who I am, and I expose myself to who he is, I start to find hope and joy and peace again. Now Paul picks up this theme in 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5. He says this, We demolish all arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. You see, what if this was a truth? That even in my failure, there is a revelation of God that will transform my understanding and will catalyst me into a greater level of spirituality. Even in my weakness, I can discover something wonderful about his heart and his passion and his wisdom and his truth that will bring me to a greater level of living in the fullness of God's plan for my life. And if my mind is the enemy that prevents me from living that reality, I need to take every thought captive, every vain imagination that sets itself up against the purposes of God. And what are the purposes of God? Well, Jesus clearly demonstrates them to us in John 10:10. It's one of my favorite scriptures. He says, I have come that you may have life and life in all its fullness. Someone say amen. So the purposes of God, even in my failure, is that he has come into my life that I may have life and life in all his fullness. When I find myself floundering in my failure, he wants to lift me up into relationship with him. And he reminds me that I have come into your life, Simon, that you may have it in fullness and in blessing. There is nothing in my life that cannot work to my advantage. If I bring it before God and I lay myself at his feet in a fresh way and I say, God, teach me your ways, that I may walk in them all the days of my life. God, I'm just walking around in blindness, but you can bring... Clarity, you can bring reality. And as I start to step towards Him with that kind of intentionality, I start to connect with my truest identity and God begins to open up my destiny. Somebody say Amen. Amen. So, church, in the midst of failure, it's really important to focus on God's passion and love for us, not on the negativity that sometimes begins to beseech our minds. Now, I don't know if you come from a family like mine. But you know, when you do things well, nobody says, well done, my good and faithful son. They expect that. But when you do things badly, oh my goodness, we have a choir. Suddenly, you know, I feel like Job's comforters. There's like 20 people suddenly, I told you, you shouldn't have, why did you, I warned you. Has anybody ever heard those kind of wonderful exhortations in your life? And even if you don't have a choir, you have a committee inside of you. Does anybody can bear witness to that? There's all those voices, you know, there, you've done it again, you've said it again. And I love this little phrase, it's the enemy's way of keeping me tied to my failure and not releasing me into my future. He says things like this, you're like a dog returning to its vomit. Thank you very much, and it tastes just as good the second time round. Thank you very much. So I've started to understand that my mind plays a huge part in my reconnection with God and my reconnection to his purpose and his plan for my life. I need to take every thought captive that prevents me from moving forward with a confidence that God is who he says he is and he will do what he promises he will do in my heart and in my life. It's really important, therefore, in the midst of failure to worship. It's important to to open up your spirit To the reality of who God is. Now let me explain what happens whenever we worship. Now stay with me. I know it's afternoon and we're hot. But we're nearly done, okay? Have you ever noticed that you come into a place like this and we have a little saying in Ireland. You've got a cob on. Obviously you have no idea. You've never heard that before. What, What about this one? If you come from the Midlands, you've got a bag on. Okay. What it basically means is you're in a bad mood oh it's revelation look at this it's just revelation oh my goodness of all the things he said that was it okay, okay. do you ever have a bad mood Does there anybody ever come to church in a bad mood does anybody go from church in a bad mood okay. I'm not looking at anyone in particular I'm honest I wasn't have you ever come to church and you you're feeling less than hopeful Come on, talk to me, please. Yeah. Have you ever come into an environment like this and in spite of your best attempts to stay miserable, and I know some of you are really good at this. In fact, some of you have made careers out of this. The worship team starts singing. And before you know where you are, with all of your resistance, God's insistence begins to do something in your heart. And you come in doubting him and you go out shouting hallelujah. You you come into this atmosphere and you're thinking, oh God, my life is really hard. And you go and you think, I shall go out with joy and build it forth. You know, you, you come in and you're overcome and you go out and overcome her. Worship is really good for people like you and me. It's really good because it lifts us back to the reality of who we are in Christ. It takes us out of our brokenness and into his beauty. It it moves us away from trying to work it all out and to stand amazed in his wonder and just love on him and adore him and just worship him with all that we are. And we're in our truest, most God-given place, even in the midst of our brokenness, when we stand before the presence of the living God. And here's what he does, because he's so gracious and kind. He inhabits the praises of his people. And you know those praises may have come through gritted teeth and hardened heart. But he inhabits the praises of his people. And our souls go, God, thank you so much for your grace. God, thank you so much for your kindness. So if you want to change your mindset, start by worshiping God. Can I just suggest to you that you don't need to get into huge intercession. Sometimes God will accomplish through worship what we can't do through prayer. Prayer sometimes is about striving to get something. We sometimes misunderstand what prayer is because prayer isn't really that. There are times when we have to contend for things, but actually we should be contending for rest. Rest demonstrates to God that I know who he is and I see that he's accomplished what he promised he's accomplished. When I'm striving, I think there's something more I can add to that. I should strive to rest in his presence. In my failure, I should be abiding in that reality and not trying to climb up a mountain somewhere to win the heart of God. I already have the heart of God. He is with me and he's for me. So what I need to do is just abide and allow his heart to become real to me. But praise and worship opens me up to heaven's reality. And somehow, when he comes like that, my failure does not seem so fatal. <laughs> I start to realize it's but a blip on the story of my life as God begins to train me for all that he has for me to reign in so worship is really good when I find myself in failure and I find myself in his presence and I'm teaching myself to do this on a regular basis I don't come to God with allegation I come to God with questions and in the environment of intimacy he begins to teach me it begins to show me some things that I missed prior to this particular moment in my life. What I'm trying to say to you is, in just about every way possible, the good days, the bad days, the high days, the holidays, and the ones that you want to hide from days, God is with you. He's for you. We've just been singing it this morning. God is fighting for you. God's always on your side. In every situation I find myself, I can have an upgrade You know, if I win a battle, I have an upgrade. If I have conquered some aspect of my life, I have an upgrade in my mind and my spur, because I can see something of God's nature. But you know, I can also have an upgrade in my failure. I can discover something that God wanted to show me. And in fact, let me say this. In fact, in some ways, I probably wouldn't have learned it so well had it been on a mountaintop. You see, sometimes we despise failure. Everything in us cringes at the thought of getting it wrong. But actually, when you get something wrong and you come to God and you work out of intimacy and relationship, he makes wrongs right. And he turns some things where you are weak into places where you have authority. If you've walked through the valley of the shadow of death, you don't fear evil. But you have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You don't get that more than a conqueror without conquering. I love the church. We sing all of these songs about overcoming and actually we're overwhelmed most of the time. The, the truth is when I walk through something with God in that restorative process where he shows me an intimacy in intimacy and relationship who I truly am and he reveals to me his nature and his character, I have an authority now. I have a dominion over certain things because God has increased my capacity to understand who he is and who I am in relationship with him. I have an upgraded life and an upgraded mindset and an upgraded perspective. And that's why when I want counseling, I don't want to go to somebody who's never had a problem. How many of us have had counselors and they've never had a bad day in their life? Keep away from them, please. They'll make you feel like a worm. You just need to try harder, brother. You just need to pray more, Simon. I've been fasting for 40 days. I haven't actually been fasting for 40 days, as you can clearly see. What will it take to bless God, my death? If I have a problem, I want to talk to somebody who's walked through, who's understood the upgraded life who has encountered God in the midst of their frailty and failure and has found him to be fascinating and life-giving, who has risen out of a problem into a place and a posture where they've got prophetic insight and revelation. I want to talk to those people. And so we need to be careful who we listen to whenever we're walking back into a place of becoming who we are in God. A couple of things as we draw this to a close that I wanted to say to you about failing well, because you will fail. Turn to the person on your right-hand side and say, I think he's talking to you. (laughs) (laughs) So can we just lay this out for all of us to ponder? It's official. It's written in the book, and it's written on our hearts. God loves a failure. (laughs) Why? Because he does not need to be seen in all the right places with all the right people why because he does not want his beauty and his nature and his glory solely represented by the great the good and the glorious he doesn't want the who's who of humanity to portray his magnificence jesus doesn't need to win a popularity competition in fact he was criticized while he was here on the earth for hanging out with people just like you and me he chose the weak the despised the rejected And he deposited in them a hope and a sense of connection with the Father and a love that transformed their hearts and their lives. And it's through ordinary people like that that God has rewritten history. When I look across the scriptures, I see by earthly terms, so many individuals disqualified. (laughs) I mean, if I was God, would I have chosen those people to host his kingdom and extend it to the world? It says of the disciples, even this They were not accounted to have been men of noble birth or great education, but this is what it said about them. But these men had clearly been with God. There is an intimacy and an accessibility to that intimacy in the midst of failure that will mark me out for the purposes of God. Not a day in our lives is wasted. God is the great salvager of all things. And when my dreams and my pride crashes and burns, that's when I can pick up his mantle. I can praise his glorious truth and reality that he loves me the way I am, but he loves me too much to leave me that way. And I begin this journey again, refreshed, full of joy and full of hope to step into the future that he has for me. For us to truly fail well, we need to know who we are in Christ Jesus. What do I mean by that? I say this over some of you today. This is a prophecy for some of you. You need to be clear about this. Your mistakes are already covered. While you were still yet sinners, Christ Jesus died for you. Everything has been paid for. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm going anywhere and someone says to me, everything has been paid for, I have some of everything. Did you get what I'm saying? Talk to me, come on. I have some of everything. If I, if I go somewhere and say, don't worry, everything's paid for, I think that's absolutely brilliant. And I fill my pockets with the finest affair, because why? It's been paid for. If I go to speak somewhere and someone says, you know, breakfast is included, then I include breakfast. <laughs> Ordinarily, I wouldn't get up for it. I'm not that interested in it. But if it's been paid for, I'm up early, <laughs> and I eat things I would never normally eat. <laughs> I mean, who eats fruit for breakfast? <laughs> oh. It's, And I start with fruit. I work through the cereals. And then when someone comes back and they say, is there anything else? Of course, I haven't had the fry yet. Let's go for the fry. Why? Because it's paid for. So your mistakes are already paid for. Doesn't that kind of bring an ease to the way you think about things? Come on, you perfectionists. You've ruined your life and everybody else's. You are frail and in need of God's grace. And your weaknesses are opportunities for him to come and display his goodness. So our mistakes are already covered. To fail really well and to fail successfully, we realize our stakes are already covered. The second thing is this to fail well, we need to bring ourselves to this place. We discover that God wants us to love learning something in the restoration process. I think back over my life and I think of some of the great moments I've had of disaster. I mean, I've been in meetings where I've stood up and prophesied over people and it wasn't the Lord, it was just fried eggs from the breakfast and the hotel I stayed in. And I've said, God's told me that there's somebody here and nobody responds. And you stand there and it's like a week in a moment. And then the spiritual tumbleweed goes across the platform. And you think, get me out of here, I'm a Christian. I was doing my best, Jesus. Jesus. So God began to teach me of how to do that well. So I always say things like this now. Instead of being very direct, I say, this may mean something to somebody. And instead of shrinking back from prophesying or praying for the sick or having words of knowledge, I decided that if this is something that I need some upgrades in, I'm going to do it even more. I'm going to make myself vulnerable to the will and the purposes of God. And I'm going to learn how to execute those prophetic words far more intelligently and powerfully than I ever did before. You see, I remember the very first time that, that God gave me a word of knowledge over somebody, I spent two hours arguing with him over it. Let, let me tell you the story. I went shopping with my mom. I'd just become a Christian about a week before. And God said to me, go and tell that lady over there that I love her. It just sounds a bit weird. So I said, no. <laughs> if you want her to know you love her, then you tell her. And God said, yes, I will, but I'm going to use your mouth to do it. I said, you're not. And I carried on shopping with my mother. I said, God, I felt been comfortable with that. If that's really you, you know, is it really you, God? Knock, knock, knock. Is that you, God? Is that you? If it's you, God, then I want you to bring her into my kind of peripheral vision. We were in a huge, big hypermarket. I thought that's never going to happen. And just as I finished that sentence, she comes around the corner with the two children. And God said to me, go and tell her that I love her. I said, I will not. Why would I do something like that? That's really embarrassing. And God said to me, tell her that I love her. So I said to my mom, let's go and have a coffee. So we went and had a coffee and we spent like two hours having a coffee. I thought, she's got to be gone by now. (laughs) I mean, who stays in Tesco's for two hours? Other shops are available, by the way. (laughs) And um, I thought, we're safe now. Let's get the stuff and we'll go home. And I come to the queue and guess who's in front of us in the queue. And and she's like about five in front of us, and ladies, with all due respect, what is it about you that leaves taking your purse out till the very last second? (sighs) It's a secret. And then she took out a screwdriver, and it was electric. (sighs) A hatchet, I don't know what she had that in her handbag for. And a variety of things that I thought, why would you carry those things around with you? And as she went to grab a purse at the bottom of this abyss, I mean a bag, all of her coins fell over the floor. And I thought, God, this is just ridiculous. And my mother clipped me behind the ear because I was raised a good Irish Catholic boy. She said, go and help that woman pick up her coins. And Before I knew where I was, not because God had spoken, because my mother needed to be obeyed. <laughs> I mean, she could, she could turn you into salt with one luck, my mother. She had to tell you what. So I just went, not because I was obedient to God, and I'm on the floor picking up these coins. And before I know where I am, I'm face to face with this woman. And without even realizing it, I say to her, God's told me to tell you that he loves you. Oh, it sounds lovely, doesn't it? Except she started crying. I thought this is getting better. If this day could get any worse, this is about it. And I can see my mother in the background going... And she gets up and she's standing face to face with me Your kids are going crazy the money's still all over the place and she said this to me I woke up this morning and uh, I got a note from my husband he's left me and he's gone off with my best friend and I said to God when I got the note <clears throat> God I shouldn't have married him you told me all those years ago he wasn't a believer wasn't a follower of Jesus and I said to God if you still love me and you want relationship with me then tell me that you love me So we're stepping out in some new things with God and we're going to make mistakes because we're children and we're trying to learn and we're trying to grow and we're trying to glean all the information we can because God is truly good. Third and final thing about failing well. We fail successfully when we realize that God is not even remotely embarrassed by our weakness or our failure. There is nothing in the heart of God that is ever ashamed of you because you are hidden in Christ when he looks upon your life he sees Christ's perfection not your weakness he sees the potential of the Holy Spirit in you to bring you into fullness he understands the power of his resurrected goodness in you to bring you to the places of blessing and delight that he has for you So when he looks upon you in the midst of your failure, if you truly want to fail well and learn as much as you can from the process, recognize this, that God is not embarrassed. He's not ashamed of you and he won't turn his face from you. He's not ashamed to call us his children. In Romans 8, it says that we are in Christ and we cannot be condemned. The one who loves us best knows us best. And God does not get disillusioned with us because he had no illusions in the first place.